0: Last week, I mentioned that it seemed like we were coming to a part of Paul's letter to the Romans where it might make sense to just kind of move along. There's not really much more we could gain, it looks like. We've we've heard what we can, so now let's just go on to the next series, right? That conclusion is all the more tempting to draw when our reading this morning is simply a list of names. Very well-read names, by the way. That was very well done. Very well done. Paul here is commending a stranger to the Roman church so that they might welcome her well. And he's passing along his greetings to those he knows in the congregation. There's very little in the way of background about who these people are or what they have accomplished. Some of them, yes, have a little bit more than just a name, but it is certainly not extended biographies or resumes. In commenting on this passage, John Calvin stated rather matter-of-factly, as he so often did, that as they contain no difficulties, it would be useless to dwell long on them. And he's right, which I'm sure we are all happy to hear this morning. This is not a complicated passage. And yet... The great father of the church, perhaps the greatest preacher to ever live, John Chrysostom, said that it is possible even from bare names to find a great treasure. Well, it turns out that both Calvin and Chrysostom are right. As simple and straightforward as this passage is, there is treasure to be found. And so what is it? Well, it is the gospel value that the church Matters, As the much-used and somewhat abused statement of our time goes, the church is essential, and so is each and every member of the church. This bare list of names communicates that value to us by showing us that we all matter because we all have a role to play. And that the church should should treat one another as if we matter, while also challenging us to consider what it is that truly matters to us. All of that from just a bunch of names. And so let's begin by seeing how we all matter and how we all have a role to play. Paul begins the chapter by commending a woman named Phoebe. This was a common practice at the time. A trusted source would write a letter of condemn- or commendation, not condemnation, <laughs> commendation, introducing a stranger to a person or a communica- uh, community. This was to indicate that this person was trustworthy. And so Paul has done that here. He sent Phoebe to the church in Rome with a letter that included a commendation of her. And it is widely believed that the letter she carried is the very letter that we have been so carefully reading these past few months, the book of Romans. That alone should tell us about the level of trust that Paul had in this woman. Paul could not himself get to Rome. In fact, at this point, he had never been to this church. And so he gives the letter to someone he fully trusted. And so Phoebe had the honor of delivering a letter that has impacted the world for centuries to come. It was not something that Paul could have accomplished without the aid of this saint and the Lord. And Phoebe is not simply a letter carrier, we find out. He names her as a servant of the church in Synchrea, and not just a servant, but a patron. Meaning she would have been helpful, at the very least, in funding Paul's ministry. She would have supported him financially. And so she was a woman of means, called to live out these roles of servant, messenger, and patron. For Paul and for the church at large. Simply put, Paul could not have done what he was called to do without her support. And it's not just Phoebe who enabled Paul's ministry. Verse 3 names Prisca and Aquila. Prisca here is a short form of Priscilla, and that name might sound a bit more familiar to those of us who have read the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 18, we read about Priscilla and Aquila encountering the young and talented preacher Apollos and discipling him further in the faith. Apollos has done well, but he needs more training, and so Priscilla and Aquila step in. These teachers of teachers have served shoulder to shoulder with Paul, even risking their lives for him, as verse 4 tells us, so that Paul might fulfill his ministry. We could go all the way through this list. We could speak of those who are named to have worked hard in the church of Mary Urbanus Trifena Trifosa Persis we could speak of the mother of Rufus who though nameless here is forever known for being like a mother to Paul without these saints Paul's work is hindered he could not do it on his own, even someone that we hold in such high regard and esteem as Paul could not accomplish all that was set before him without the church. No one can. The point is this, everyone within the church matters to the gospel. Every single one of us has a role to play. As I said last week, every one of us has a work to do, and it is a work worth doing. It is something that so many of us need to be reminded about. I hear it all the time from people. Well, you know, I'm, I'm just not that important because I don't know that much. Or I'm not holy like that other person. I mean, they've been in the church Forever. I just got here. Or how can I matter that much? I'm not the priest. I don't celebrate communion. I don't preach the sermons. What do I really bring to the church? Well, I'm not going to tell you that clergy don't matter. That would be silly. Of course, leadership matters. But it would also be silly to conclude that you don't have a ministry Because you're not ordained, or you're not in leadership, or you haven't been here that long, or you feel like you don't know enough, or are able enough. Every single Christian has a ministry to fulfill. Every single Christian matters to the church. Maybe your role is like Phoebe's to be a patron of the church, the one who has the means to fund different ministries. Maybe your role is like Priscilla and Aquila, to teach and disciple. Maybe you're the evangelist who has a way of speaking about Jesus to the non-believer that is compelling and attractive. Maybe your role is to be the gatherer, that person who just knows how to welcome someone well, And make them feel at home. Maybe your ministry is prayer. To be the intercessor who is constantly lifting up the church that she might fulfill her mission. Whatever it is, without each and every one of us laboring together for the gospel. Seeking to fulfill our common ministry together. The church is hindered. Each and every one of us has a role to play. Everyone matters. Now that being the case, the church is called upon to treat one another as if we matter. I love the way that Paul introduces Phoebe to this church. He doesn't open with the fact that she's a servant and patron. He'll get there... But that's not how he starts. We so often face this temptation, don't we? We meet somebody new, and so we want to tell them what we've done. Or if we ask them, you know, nice to meet you, what is it that you do for a living? We instantly jump to the resume, right? Or even worse... The patron walks in, right? You kind of lean over to the person beside him and you and say, You know, the money just walked in. Go be nice to that person. That's not what Paul does. He gets to her background, it matters. But the first thing he says about her is, She's our sister, she's a believer. So even though they know nothing about her, even though they've never met her, they are to treat her as a sister. What a wonderful posture for the church to have. Paul wants them to begin with what truly matters, their shared faith, their common bond in Christ. That is meant to be the default position of the church and the basis upon which we welcome one another. We look upon one another, not as people of different races or classes or genders, but as brothers and sisters in Christ. And so it is the default position of this church that anyone who walks through these doors is either a believer or on their way to becoming one. And so we welcome them as such. That person on your right or your left is a saint of Christ or, Lord willing, will be one soon enough. And so we treat them as such. Look upon them that way when we discuss the business of the church. Look upon them that way when we talk about our lives and whatever is going on in our life. Be willing to share that with one another. Look upon them that way when we talk about what's going on in the world around us. And certainly look upon them that way when it becomes clear that we don't always agree on everything. Because when our default position is to assume a common faith in Christ, our default position is one of unity, of giving the benefit of the doubt and of commonality. We live in a time and place that seeks to strip commonality from every part of life in the name of expressive and radical individualism. Individualism is by no means a bad thing in and of itself, but our societal approach to individualism has stripped our communities of any sense of common purpose, of common values, or common life together. And so into that world, into that culture, this simple list of names in chapter 16 speaks of something radically different. This list reveals a unity within the church that cuts across all the ways that people try to divide themselves. We have here Jew and Gentile, people with different cultures and and religious backgrounds, In all likelihood, we have slaves named here. Ampliatus, Urbanus, Hermes, Philogus, and Julia. All common slave names. Everyone. And so it's pretty unlikely that if you weren't a slave, you were going to give your child that name. Within the same church, we have Aristobulus and Narcissus. Two men of high standing. One perhaps being a descendant of King Herod the Great, and the other, a likely member of the court of the Roman Emperor Claudius. Slaves and people who were not simply free, but who had risen to a level that most could only dream of. And here they are standing shoulder to shoulder within the church not coming together as slave and free or lower and upper class, but as brothers and sisters of the same Heavenly Father who served the same Lord and King, Jesus Christ. And of course, in a time when women were viewed as less than men, this list names nine different women and holds them all in high honor within the church. And then on top of that, we have someone with a unique religious heritage, Rufus. Paul's letter does not mention this, but it is widely believed that he was the son of Simon of Cyrene, the man who held the high honor of carrying the cross that Jesus was crucified on. People of different classes, Genders, religious backgrounds, people of esteem and honor in the secular world, and those who would have been regarded as completely worthless in the secular world. All these people standing together, united as the church. United to one another as they are united to Jesus. I stand here as the pastor of a church that has owned a building, lost that building, and has at various times over the past few years rented space in a Pentecostal church, a Chinese Alliance church, a Christian Reformed church, and now meets in a Roman Catholic church. Yes, we have our differences within the Christian world. We, until Jesus returns, will have them. And yet, that history, our shared history as St. Aiden's, speaks to the unity that faithful Christians have even across our differences. I look at this congregation here this morning, and I see people who came to faith as adults... And people who have never had a day where they haven't known Jesus. I see people who are baptized in Pentecostal churches, Baptist churches, non-denominational, Roman Catholic, Orthodox, oh and right, even Anglican churches. And that's just the denominations I can remember off the top of my head. I don't know all of you in your background. And so there might even be more than that. We have people of varied backgrounds, incomes, races, education levels, religious heritage, and yet we here, the people of St. Aidan's, are one in Christ. Each and every one of us matters. Each and every one of us has a role to play. I don't care how old you are, I don't care how long, you've been here. Everyone matters, everyone has a role to play. And so we treat one another as if we matter. As if we have endless value. Because that is how Christ sees us. And the result is a church that is united in common purpose. The common purpose of following Jesus well. Of praising and proclaiming Him. Last thing for this morning. This list challenges us to consider what truly matters to us. As I have said, this list includes people of influence and those with none. The rich, the poor, the well-educated, the uneducated. And yet, none of those things matter compared to who they are in the church. And so what is it that Paul actually takes the time to mention? Oh, that guy Rufus, right? That guy that you might kind of elevate a little bit because he's related to the guy who got to carry the cross that Jesus was crucified on. Yeah, what matters is, is that he's chosen in the Lord. Impliatus, the slave. Yeah, what matters about him is that he's beloved in the Lord. Even those he does say more about, people like Andronicus or Junia, it's what they've done for the gospel. It's it's who they are in the gospel. In their case, it's being prisoners for the sake of the gospel and serving of those of high esteem in the eyes of the apostles with perhaps even an apostolic ministry, meaning bringing the gospel to places that it's not been before. The point here is that the vast majority of people that are in this list are people that are completely unknown to us. Most of them are not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible, and we know basically nothing about them. All that mattered was that they belonged to Jesus. They were loved by him, and they served him. Paul commends not their riches or their resume, but their faithfulness. That should challenge us to consider how we view people, what we value about other people. It challenges us to think about what we value and what we're chasing after. Are we more concerned with the riches of this world and having the the right social standing and our resume put out there so everyone can be impressed? Or are we more concerned with faithfulness, with fidelity to Jesus, and love of his church. In C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, The Great Divorce, which just so happens to be on our display table downstairs for the library, if anybody wants to take a peek at that after the service. Got to get my plugs in where I can. In his wonderful book, The Great Divorce, the main character has an extended dream or vision about the afterlife. He's visiting the outskirts of heaven. And toward the end of the book, he sees a great procession go by. There are angelic beings and boys and girls walking along, singing and playing instruments, making music so beautiful that any man who even read the score, Lewis writes, would not grow sick or old. These children and angelic beings are throwing flowers and dancing before a woman who is so clearly important and worthy of honor that the main character assumes that she's Mary, the mother of God. No, his guide tells him, she is Sarah Smith of Golders Green, a woman that nobody has ever heard of. And yet here, in this image of heaven, she shines with indescribable beauty and is praised for her good deeds. Not because she was famous or did anything that would ever be written about in the history books, but because, as the guide tells him, every child she encountered became like her child. And all those whom she encountered left their time with her knowing better how to love people. Such was the faithfulness that she had. Such was the the witness and the impact that it had. And now the main character is told. The abundance of life that she has in Christ from the Father flows over into them. Redeemed humanity is still young. It has hardly come to its full strength. But already there is joy enough in the little finger of a great saint such as yonder lady, to waken all the dead things of the universe into life. God, I wish I could write like that. (laughs) The thing of lasting value, the thing that earned heaven's reward, was the faithful life This simple, mostly unknown saint of Christ lived in such a way that her faith in Christ and the love that she had for him flowed out into all that she encountered. Her simple faithfulness revealed Jesus to everyone she met. And while most will never know her name, she is known in heaven by her Savior. And she shines with a beauty, that can only come from him. It is my unwavering belief that heaven is filled with simple saints like this character that Lewis created. Heaven is filled with Sarah Smiths, people who value Jesus more than the fleeting treasures of this world. And what a joy it will be for all the faithful to meet these unknown saints, to meet one another and to hear one another's stories. Think about that when you think about what has lasting value. Think about that when you think about what you're pursuing in this world and and how you spend your time and and your, your talents and your money. Think about the Sarah Smiths when you think about what truly matters. And then ask yourself the question, would I be okay with being forgotten by the world, cast aside into the dustbin of history, if it meant being remembered by Jesus? See, one of the great lessons of the Feast of All Saints Is that all the saints, not just the named saints, not just the ones we read about or that are in the calendar or that are in the beautiful stained glass. But all the saints have tremendous value to the Lord. And all the saints are united to praise our one Lord Jesus. So in this world, what is it that matters to you? Are you pursuing the things that Paul doesn't even bother to waste his ink on? Or are you pursuing Jesus? Are you pursuing social standing and high esteem? Are you pursuing the riches of heaven? For all the faithful saints, the greatest gift awaits us. The reward of heaven. Seeing Jesus face to face and hearing those blessed words, well done, good and faithful servant. This day is that which you are striving for. Is that which you are longing to hear? What this simple, bare list of names tells us is that the church matters. Each and every member of the church matters. And as we live this life together, we strive together to have that joy of Christ in this life and to shine with the beauty that only he can give for all eternity. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.